morning. Today's scripture reading comes from John 8, verses 48 through 59. John 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is God's word. Uh, I love a good debate. Love uh, watching them or participating in them. Uh, from very early on, it, it started off with the debate about sports. So in high school, I had some misguided friends who were Yankees fans, <laughs> right? And I was a Mets fan. And so, uh, right, 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 Brother Brown, yes, sir, yes. And we would go back and forth, uh, who was better, the, the Mets or the Yankees? I mean, that's, uh, you know, an obvious, there's an obvious answer to that question. <laughs> the Mets are better. But, but uh, uh, this love of debate started with, with sports. And if you have ever been to a uh, men's retreat, you'll know one of the highlights is debating uh, whether or not MJ or LeBron is better, right? right? We, those, those debates were intense, right? I remember sitting across the table and going back and forth with brothers on that very, very subject. Love a good debate. It all started with sports, but as I've grown in my sanctification, <laughs> uh, I, I love debates about theology. It's just, it's just wonderful to see, uh, fascinating to see uh, intellectual giants go back and forth, trading barbs, trading counterpoints and such, answering one another's uh, questions. I love a good debate. Jesus, you see, has been caught up in a debate. That is really what we have been analyzing over the last few weeks. He has been in a heavyweight battle with these Jews. In fact, ever since he arrived at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, he has been sparring with the religious leaders. The debates have been, have been fierce, and the counterpoints and rebuttals have been crisp. But there is no doubt that Jesus is wearing these brothers out. He's wearing them out. 
It's like the well-worn movie plot. The confident, self-righteous know-it-all goes up against the the no-name, humble, unlikely uh, uh, opponent. The movie always ends the same. The self-righteous know-it-all gets schooled by the no-name. It's it's much the same story here, except Jesus is no no no-name. Humble, yes, but he is no doubt the superior debater. Each time they try, these Jews try to trap Jesus or discredit his claims, Jesus delivers another staggering blow. Well, the debate is finally winding down. And Jesus is setting them up to deliver his closing argument. In our text this morning, Jesus has his drop-the-mic moment. Last week we learned that Jesus refuted his opponents by exposing who they really were, namely that they were children of the devil devil, as opposed to children of Abraham. You remember that that is the issue at hand, that Jesus has been going back and forth with them. Jesus had told them that if you were going to truly be his disciples, that they would need to listen to his word in order to know the truth, and that truth would then set them free. Jesus also revealed to them in part who he was and what he came to do. Namely, that he had been sent by the Father to set the captives free, and all they needed to do was to believe in his Uh, in his name, and abide in his word. Well, this did not sit too well with those opponents, those listening to him. And our text this morning is their response to Jesus, exposing their sin and revealing to to them who he is and their need to believe and to trust in him. This is their response, or we might say they offered their rebuttal to Jesus. Look at how they respond in John 8, 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They offer a rebuttal to Jesus' claim regarding who he is and, and the exposing of their hearts. And this rebuttal, however good they thought it was, was a poor one. It was a poor rebuttal. They employ a classic ad hominem attack to Jesus claims. In other words, rather than dealing with what Jesus said, rather than engaging the claims and the arguments that he has made, they attack Jesus instead. Classic ad hominem approach. Listen to them. Listen to what they say. You must be a Samaritan. Only a Samaritan would question our ethnic identity like that. And you know the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans were not thought of very highly by the Jews. This was an insult. We knew we were right in saying that you were a demon. This is such a poor rebuttal, brothers and sisters, to Jesus' claims Uh, about who they really were and about who he really is. You do understand 
that when an ad hominem tactic is used, it is a clear sign that the person is out of their league and they have no desire to faithfully engage the issues. Jesus had exposed the unbelieving hearts of the Jews and he was there offering himself up to them for their salvation as their only hope and all they could do was ridicule and resort to name calling. They didn't say Tell us more, Jesus. We want to we know more. Not could you clarify so that we understand better. No, they, they insult him and they, they, they call him names. You've got a demon. You are a Samaritan. Sadly, this is the tactic that is still used by many today. There are many who are presented with Christianity with the claims that Jesus makes, with the unadulterated gospel, the beauty of the gospel, and people resort to ad hominem attacks rather than truly engaging with the claims that Jesus makes, with the claims of Christianity. You've seen it happen before. People are challenged with the claims, the true claims of Christianity, and their response is, yeah, but, but don't you know Jesus wasn't a white man? Don't you know Jesus didn't have blue eyes and, and blonde hair? Don't, don't you know uh, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, did, don't you know Christians own slaves? What about the Crusades? Christians were killing people and engaging in war. Did you know about that? Christians are the most hypocritical uh, 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 People that I know, they're mean-spirited. These are the rebuttals that people offer when presented with the claims of Christianity. When they are, when they are uh, uh, challenged to believe in Jesus, these are the rebuttals that they offer up. Listen, when people begin to make statements like this about Jesus and about Christians, they are not really interested in engaging the truth. In fact, they are demonstrating that they are out of their league and all they are trying to do is distract from the issues at hand. This happened to Paul Paul, when he was before uh, Festus in Acts 26, Paul there gives his testimony, gives a passionate plea regarding the claims of Christ and the resurrection. And in Acts 26, 24, Festus says, with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Instead of engaging, Festus, instead of gauge, engaging with the arguments and the claims, he attacks Paul's character. This has been going on for centuries, people attacking the person rather than dealing with the truth. If it has not happened to you before, it will. As you begin to challenge people with, with Jesus and the claims that he makes, they'll, they'll attack you. They'll attack Christians. 
Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Your response to these rebuttals, it's not hard. It's not hard. You don't have to be a skilled apologist or a pastor or, or, or a Bible scholar to handle these questions that people raise regarding Christianity. Your only response needs to be, yes, yes, all that, all that may be true. Yes, Christians are hypocrites. Yes, some did own slaves. And you are right, Jesus wasn't a white man with blue eyes and blonde hair. But what does that have to do with your sin? What does that have to do with the fact that you are guilty before a holy God deserving his wrath and you are destined for destruction? What are you going to do with that fact? You see, all people are doing when they start making ad hominem attacks is distracting from the issue at hand. This, you do understand, brothers and sisters, is about life, and it is about life and death. This is what it's about. This is about eternity. That is what Jesus says. That is his response to this poor ad hominem attack. John 8, 49 and 51, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the drudge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus brings it back to the issues at hand. Are they going to believe him or not? Because to believe in him is to never see death. And brothers and sisters, this is always the issue at hand when it comes to encountering Jesus. That's always the issue. That's always the issue. When you are presented with Jesus, it is a matter of life and death. Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's all about life and death when we encounter Jesus. Are you going to believe in him for eternal life? Are you going to reject him and head for eternal wrath? Sadly, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus debates people, it's not about who's better, MJ or LeBron. <laughs> He's not debating baptism or the nature of church government. He is making a case. He is making a case for life over against death. And in him, only in his word, only believing him, can life be found. It's the only place life can be found. Sadly, his opponents did not understand. And they were still blinded to the truth and continued to show their ignorance with, with more insults and more accusations and more questions. And so they begin their uh, cross-examination, the, their cross-examination of the statement that Jesus has just made. 
In John 8.53, we read, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Despite their cross-examination, like a skilled tactician, Jesus continues to poke holes in their arguments. And, and, and they were painting themselves into a corner, and their true identity was, was shining through. John 8, 54 through 56, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him, and he keeps his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. They were, they were stuck on, on Abraham. Their pride in their ethnic identity caused them to miss what was right before them. Ironically, they were missing the very thing that brought Abraham, the one whom they claimed to be their, their descendants of, joy. Who was, the one who was standing before them is the one who brought Abraham joy, namely the age of the Messiah, the long promised hope, the, the full picture of the lamb that was provided so Isaac might be spared. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise that had, been, that had brought Abraham so much joy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all longed for the day their descendants were right then and there experiencing. And rather than rejoicing in him, they rejected him and sought to, to kill him. Perhaps you heard it many times growing up like I did from, from my parents. I, I heard it from my parents and I heard it from other adults. When we experienced uh, something that they didn't have the pleasure of experiencing, they would say, you come in a good day, <laughs> right? Air conditioning in the car without having to roll down the windows. Don't you know you come in a good day, <laughs> right? You come in a good day. What they were saying was that, that they were saying that we didn't appreciate what we had the privilege of experiencing. Heard it all the time growing up. <laughs> and guess what I say to my children? <laughs> you come in a good day. <laughs> if Abraham were in that temple that day, he would have said the same Thing. He would have said to those young religious zealots, don't you know what you're experiencing? You come in a good day. You're missing it. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that you and I, we come in a good day? We come in a good day. In fact, it is even a better day than those Jewish leaders were experiencing. They had yet to see the cross. They had yet to experience the, and hear about the resurrection. Oh, but you and I, we're on the other side of that. We don't have any excuse. Listen to how Peter describes it for the first century Christians in 1 Peter 10 and verse 12. 
Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is what Peter tells the first century Christians, that they were on the other side of the cross. They were on the other side of the resurrection. They, they, they are not like their, their forefathers who, who hoped, who looked forward in a hopeful anticipation. They saw it and they experienced it. Oh, Peter will go on to say, yes, yes, I know I saw, I saw Jesus in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, but you have a, a more sure thing. You, you, have, you have his word. Oh, Jesus told those who were claiming Abraham as their father that Abraham rejoiced in types and shadows that pointed forth to the Messiah. But that Messiah was now here, the Christ, the one whom he was claiming to be, rather than rejoice like Abraham did. They were calling him names and seeking to kill Jesus. They had all the religion. They had all the religion. They knew all of the laws, but they had no joy because they couldn't see Jesus. Now, this is an aside, but I think it is worth mentioning. Uh, Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to the day when Christ would show up and make everything right. He was, he was full of joy over that sight. In the types and the shadows that he was privileged to see, it caused him to look forward and rejoice that, that there was somebody coming, that there was a Messiah coming to make everything right. Jesus said he was full of joy. How about you, brothers and sisters? Where is your joy found? What are you rejoicing over today? When, when we were singing, what was it that was bringing you joy as you lifted your hands, as you raised your voice? Abraham rejoiced in anticipation of what was to be done. We have the privilege of rejoicing over what has been done, what has been completed. Isn't that the name of our, of our sermon series, The Joy of Knowing Jesus? Listen, if you are in Christ, you can rejoice over the fact that you have seen the Messiah. That the work on the cross has been completed. We rejoice over what has been done. But like Abraham, we can rejoice over as well what is to be done. We rejoice what will be done on the day of judgment, we return to 1 Peter again, 1 verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, 
Oh, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the joy, brothers and sisters, that we will, on that day of judgment, we are found in Jesus. Salvation will be ours. But that joy, that joy is only found in Jesus. It's not, it's not found in religion and it's not found in ethnic identity. It can only be found in Jesus. So you got to believe in him. You got to trust in him. Sadly, once again, Jesus' opponents knew nothing of this joy. They were, they, were, they were too caught up. They were too caught up in their religious identity, their, their ethnic pride. They couldn't see themselves or Jesus rightly. But Jesus was about to change all that and tell them exactly who he was. After hearing Jesus declare Abraham's joy at seeing him, the Jews were a little confused. They, 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 they weren't sure. They, they had more questions. How could Jesus, who was not even 50 years old, interact with someone who had been dead for hundreds of years? How was that even possible? Well, Jesus moves to one of my favorite parts of a debate, the closing argument. It sums up the points, sums up the points being made by the debater. It rebuts any questions left unaddressed. It is in many respects the final word. Jesus, in response to these unbelieving Jews, gives his closing argument in John 8 and 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, like Pastor Tony said last week, we don't hear these statements like the original hearers heard these statements. But if you have been tracking with us, through the series, you'll remember that we touched on the Greek phrase used here by Jesus. It's the Greek phrase, ego, eme. If you remember when we were doing that um, in the quiz, it was, a, it was a question on one of the quizzes that we sent out for the sermon. It's the Greek phrase, ego, eme. Before Abraham was, ego, eme. Well, however veiled or obscure the reference was that we made links to Jesus when he was walking on the water towards the disciples in the storm and he announced himself, ego, eme, I am, however obscure it was, it is crystal clear here. Crystal. Jesus wanted them when he said, before Abraham was ego eme, Jesus wanted them to remember Moses as he stood there before the burning bush and he heard God declare, I am who I am. 
He wanted them to remember Moses, that Moses was to go before the people and tell them, I am sent him. The self-existent, almighty, creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega. This was the self-revelation of God to Moses. I am. Debates, you see, continue to rage till this day regarding the deity of Jesus. As Christians, as Orthodox Christians, right, we believe that Jesus is God. Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, dwelling with us. That is really, you do understand, what separates Orthodox Christianity from other religions or, or so-called other Christians. Take, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe in Jesus. They believe him to be called of God. But they do not believe that he is God. And so they do linguistic gymnastics in their Bible with passages like John 1 and 1. I mean, it's a gold, it's a gold medal performance that they do. John 1 1. They say in the beginning, right? In, in our Bibles, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? They change it up. And, and so, yes, there's an obscure reference here, but, but then the real issue is that it, what we find in our text this morning, John 8 and 58, because this is really the issue. Because people think that Jesus being God is something that other Christians make up, right? That, that the disciples called Jesus a God because, called Jesus God because he, uh, they wanted to prop him up. And so it was their calling of Jesus, making him out to be this. And so they question, the question always arises, did Jesus claim deity on his own? Did he himself claim to be God? Did he ever say he was so? Well, Jesus' closing argument to those at the Feast of Tabernacles was emphatic, and it was the clearest, it's the clearest expression of his claim to deity that we have in all of the scriptures. If you're debating with anybody regarding this, you've got to take them to John 8 and 58. When he answered the question, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is essentially saying, I have always existed. <laughs> I ha the, the, the reason why I was before Abraham is because I have always, always existed. And therefore, I am before Abraham and I will always be before Abraham. I am greater than your father Abraham because I am the Alpha and the Omega, the great I am. That's what Jesus was saying. And if you are tempted to think, tempted to think that that is arrogant or that Jesus was seeking his own glory, 
He answers that objection earlier in verse 54. Jesus answered him, answered, if, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Oh, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He is God. He is Alpha and Omega. Jesus was indeed claiming to be God, and we know this because of how his opponents respond. They confirm what Jesus was saying. John 8, 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. His opponents, they picked up stones to stone him because they believe that what Jesus had just uttered was blasphemous. And according to their law, blasphemy was punishable by stoning. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew what he said more than we know. <laughs> they knew what he said, and yet they still rejected it outright. Jesus had made his closing argument, and they failed to be persuaded. They chose death instead of life. Oh, when Jesus revealed him, himself as God incarnate, that is the closing argument that shuts down all debates. It, if he is the great I am, the self-existent sovereign God, then you must listen to him. You must believe in him. If he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he is not lying. You better believe in him if he is the great I am. There is nothing left to say. No more rebuttals need to be made. You either choose Jesus and therefore choose eternal life or you choose death and join with all those who hopelessly seek to put to death the author of life. Children of God or children of the devil. devil. What is your choice this morning? What is your choice this morning? Jesus has given his closing argument. He is the great I am. No more questions. No more rebuttals. Choose life this day. Choose Jesus. Let's pray.